Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of We Do Talk About That Here. We're the advocates from Safe Place Sexual Assault Center, and we started this podcast as a way to talk about subjects that might normally be considered taboo. We often hear things like, that's a sensitive subject, or we can't talk about that here. But during this podcast, nothing is off the table. Just a reminder, we are not doctors, psychologists, or attorneys. We're advocates from a sexual assault center who think it's time to talk about sensitive subjects. So please consult a medical therapist or legal professional for any advice on these topics. This is Regina and Nicole with our special guest, Danielle, who is from Safe Passage Prevention Team. We are big on awareness months around here. And since February is Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month, we decided to dedicate this episode to teen dating violence. I'm gonna give you a little bit of background about Danielle. She attended the University of Cincinnati, obtaining her bachelor's of business administration with a focus in entrepreneurship and real estate. And with two years of social work at the University of Kentucky. Danielle volunteered doing sexual assault and domestic violence hospital response with another agency for three years before joining Safe Passage. Danielle has been at Safe Passage for two years and serves as a community outreach prevention coordinator. She's married and has one child. When not at work, Danielle likes to bake, hike, decorate, do home renovations, watch movies, and craft. So Danielle, what is it, what is it that we need to know about teen dating violence? What's the first thing that you want to, that we want to dive into here? I think the first thing is the prevalence and the, like some of the statistics on it. Cause I don't think people um, really recognize that, like how prevalent it is. So it's one in three teens will be in, will experience physical or sexual violence by someone they are dating. Um, and so we use that one in three a lot. And I think people don't realize it's that much. You know, I think people, A, don't realize teens are really dating that much. And and I think that's the trouble part when we say the word dating, because, you know, it's not always like a full, like, boyfriend, girlfriend, or girlfriend, girlfriend, boyfriend, boyfriend. Like, sometimes it's just that, like, casual hanging out. Um, but any sort of relationship like that, to think that one in three of our teens are experiencing that is a really high um, percentage. And I think um, to even go further into that, I think knowing that, you know, if they're in an abusive relationship as a teen, they're four times more likely to be in an abusive relationship as adult. So when you kind of combine those numbers and you say like one in three, and then they're four times more likely because they're now this vulnerable, like put into this vulnerable population, I think it really like expands the magnitude of this issue and expands like why, like we don't only need to stop it because teens deserve a healthy relationship, but we also need to stop it so that they're not getting into that domestic violence relationship into adulthood. Um, and I don't always think that that connection's really made. Um, so I think that's, that's a big piece. And then even to kind of elaborate even more, it's just you know, having people like take that serious or recognize those signs that, you know, it is a big deal if their partner is being controlling. It's not just popular. It's not just like, oh, they're being teenagers. Like it's like a real thing to take, to take serious and to figure out how to help your teen or help your friend or help yourself if you're in that relationship. I feel like there are so many things that I want to dive into more with what you were talking about, but uh, what I was hearing a lot was that people aren't recognizing that teens are in 
dating violence and they're maybe not taking it as seriously as they should. And I'm curious as to why that might be. Yeah. So I think um, a lot of times I think, I think they're not realizing like the severity or how serious people get into dating. So I think like they don't realize like that teens are really dating that much because there's a lot that goes on that the adults in their lives don't see, especially now. Like they're starting to date like on Snapchat and on social media before where there's adults that aren't seeing that piece of that relationship. Um, So then when they see things, you know, they see little bits of that behavior. They're only seeing a portion of that relationship. So I think they're not always like connecting the whole relationship and saying like, okay, they're in a dating relationship with this person. And then what I'm seeing is, you know, an unhealthy or an abusive piece of that relationship. So to kind of break that, I think part of it's like, they're not really seeing that whole piece of that relationship. And then I think another piece is they're not fully understanding what an unhealthy and abusive relationship is. Um, so if you can't recognize what that is, it's going to be really hard for you to be able to recognize it in your adult or I'm um, sorry, in your teen. Um, so I think that's another piece of it. Um, I also think that they just don't take teens serious. I think there's this like, you know, cultural thing that, you know, is kind of like, you know, young people and teens, sometimes they don't really know what they're talking about. Like they, they haven't really dated. So they, they don't really know, which they don't, but they do know their feelings and they do know how they're being treated. Um, and, you know, I think they just kind of take it as like, it's not a big deal. Like they'll get past this. Like they're just being like, think like thinking the victim survivor is like being overreactive or, um, you know, maybe it's not really what they're seeing it as. So I think kind of all of that combined is part of it. Um, I think people think it's puppy love. I think people, you know, again, just don't, don't take it serious. You know, I think sometimes, you know, they're young adults, like they have the same emotions as adults do. They're going to have the same things are going to stick with them as it would be in an adult abusive relationship. So, um, And I think it's even more vital because this could be like their first relationship, you know, and it's like, what kind of foundation are you setting if they're in an, if they're in an unhealthy relationship and and an an adult that they trust in their life isn't stepping in that setting, like how they're going to be in relationships in the future. If they don't, you know, break that cycle and really understand that what they're in is unhealthy or abusive. I think that's one of the scary things that people do need to understand is that if that first relationship that you're in is abusive. It does. It sets the pattern. It sets the standard, you know, for the rest. And so how, if that is a teen's first experience with dating is violent behavior, what, how do we then reach them? Like, how do we then show them or tell them um, what healthy relationship is? Because at that point, they may not have a reference for what healthy relationships are. So how important is it to get the message about healthy relationships out to teens and their families? And how do we do that? Mm -hmm. Um, Yes, it's extremely important. And I think it starts, especially with teens, like reminding them that they have to have that healthy relationship with themselves first. Like they really have to take the time to get to know themselves. They really have to learn to love themselves and learn to trust themselves again. Because I think when you're, when you get in, if you're in an unhealthy or an abusive relationship and you get out of it, it can be really hard to trust yourself with dating again if you, um, because you don't, if you really truly like don't want to repeat that. So I think um, first and foremost, like 
reminding them what a healthy relationship looks like in themselves and having them build up their self-confidence and their self-love. And then really diving into like what a healthy relationship looks like. And I think it's super important to depict the difference between what a healthy relationship actually is and what they may have been seen or told culturally what a healthy relationship is. I think that's a big piece of it because I think, um, and that goes back to like not being able to recognize that they're in an unhealthy relationship is because, you know, the example that they may have from their parents or what they're seeing in our culture doesn't always depict what a healthy relationship actually is. So I think going back to the root of, you know, um, you know, respect and good communication and, you know, consent and all of those pieces of what make a healthy relationship. I think communicating that to your child, reinforcing that in your child um, with a friendship and a dating relationship. So I think that's another piece of it is like that self-love, depicting what a healthy relationship truly is, regardless of what culture tells us, and then starting with the foundation of friendships too, because you know, if they don't have healthy friendships, they're definitely not going to have a healthy dating partner. Um, and so I think it's just really important to have those conversations with your teen and your child and like reiterate, like every time they bring up a new friend's name, like say, like, is that, do you feel like this is a healthier friendship? Do you, are you feeling good about yourself or can you communicate with them? Can you be honest with them? Do you feel respected? Um, you know, just continuing to like, remind them of like every relationship that they're in should have these qualities. And then I feel like that then goes into their dating relationship. And once they start dating, um, even if it's just talking with somebody on Snapchat or on social media, like saying those, like, do you feel respected? Do you feel like you can communicate well with this person? Um, I think that that's a really good way for families to have those conversations with their, with their teens Um, And start at a young age. Like I said, start with friendships. Start when they're, I mean, they start creating friendships when they're in kindergarten. You can start that language and dialect of what a healthy relationship looks like at that young age and then just build upon that as they get older and start to go into their dating relationship. And one other point too for families. And I think doing, I think being honest with yourself and are you in a healthy relationship as a parent with yourself? And are you in a healthy relationship with your spouse or partner? Because you have to be able to model that to some level for your child to be able to do that. I mean, I don't know how many parenting books I've read that says your your child's going to follow what you model more than they're going to follow what you say. So you have to be loving yourself and your child has to see that and they have to see you have good, healthy relationships with your friends and your partner and spouse, um, you know, for them to really, really, truly get a healthy relationship. Kind of like cycling back just quickly about like the cultural aspect of it. Um, You said something that I thought really makes a lot of sense in that, you know, start in kindergarten, start when they have that, when they are first introduced to other children. You know, I remember being a kid and on the playground and, you know, a little boy was mean to me and I would tell my parents, they're like, oh, well, maybe he just likes you. Maybe that's just the boy. Mm -hmm telling you know Mm -hmm. he likes you but he likes you and that's so destructive really because that's setting children up to accept that sort of behavior as okay so I think it's super important like you said to start at an early age of letting kids know what's not Mm -hmm. absolutely and I find that even I find that with my daughter like she had a friend or she has like her girl 
group of girlfriends and there was this one boy and he literally like kept asking this one girlfriend, you know, I don't even know. It wasn't like to be her, his girlfriend, but like just that he liked her or whatever. And she was like, I don't like you. I don't like you. And I like, what? so I was like, he is not respecting your guys's boundaries. <laughs> like that is not okay. Like if he keeps doing this, like you need to go tell your teacher because he should not be bothering you guys. Like you can be friends with him. That's great. But if you like, A, you guys don't need to be, you know, messing with the opposite sex in that way right now. But, but B, I was like, you know, if you guys don't want, you know, if you don't like him that way, like you told him in a night, like your friend told him in a nice way and he should not continue to ask you like, that's, you know, that's starting to pressure you and you shouldn't, your friend and you should never feel that way. Yeah, um, absolutely. But it, it is. Yeah. And even like, I think, um, like as, you know, like friendships with girls, because like a lot of those qualities in an unhealthy relationship, you can see that in girls, like how often do girls get like jealous and Mm -hmm. they like, you know, sometimes they're like knit knit pippy or knit pippy, knit knit picky with each other. Or like, we'll start like, like they can be harsh. Like they, like girls can be mean to each other. But again, it's like, if you, you know, find yourself in that circle, like, again, it's like, like what you're going to set as your tolerance for how people are going to treat you. And, um, you know, just kind of trying to not have that like at a young age. So that when you get in a dating relationship, you know what your standards are for how people should treat you. I love that modeling and having those conversations and things like that. And I, I really love like, you know, the role that parents have and can have in being that for their kiddos. Um, but I want to kind of look at another angle of things. But before I do, I want to kind of quickly mention that um, some of the things I was hearing from you too were things about um, you know, healthy relationships with ourselves first and um, how sometimes adults um, don't take teens seriously and how they respond really um, can make or break that kiddos um, or that teen situation. Um, and I do want to point out that our podcast is meant to kind of be kind of building blocks and a larger agent of cultural change. So I really encourage folks to check out our episode on singles and our episode on human trafficking, which um, touch on both of those topics. But the direction that I wanna go now is um, when we talked about um, the role that parents and things like that have in these teens' lives, Um, I know before we started recording, we were talking about educators as well and schools and other adults and teens lives. And I'm curious what kind of a role that those individuals and those systems can have in preventing and intervening in teen dating violence. Yeah. Um, Something I've really noticed in my couple years now going in and doing programming in the schools is I do really feel like once we start unpacking what an unhealthy relationship looks like, I feel like teens start to get it. You know, they start, you can see like in their eyes and like in their expressions, like they're getting, they're understanding, you know, what an unhealthy relationship looks like. You know, they'll make comments like, oh, I've seen this and my friend, or like, I can point out, you know, these, these people that are dating and I've seen them, you know, kind of go at it in an unhealthy way. So I feel like they're starting to see that. And I think that people then start to recognize it in themselves if they're in a dating relationship. But I think 
the big kind of piece that's missing is that, you know, then when they go to staff or teach, rather that's a teacher or counselor or principal or something like that, and they're, you know, disclosing or coming forward and saying like, I'm in this, they are kind of halted there. Like they're not getting the help. They're not getting the support that they need. Um, and that is so detrimental because sometimes those are the trusted adult in that teen's life. You know, those are the people that we've been taught our whole life, you know, to go to if you need anything and they're going to have your back and they're going to take care of you. And, and I don't always think that it's coming from a negative point from like that staff. I think sometimes the staff doesn't know how to handle those situations. Um, but I think it's super important that when a teen comes forward and discloses that they're in that type of relationship, you know, to take them serious, to believe them, to give them the those resources that they need um, to help them make that decision if they decide to leave that relationship and making sure that they're leaving it in a healthy way and in a safe way because um, you know we know that it gets more violent when they go to exit that relationship. Um, so I think it's really important that the staff around the kids that are coming forward are really um, you know, supporting them and that they're coming from a non-judgmental um, state. I, you know, the same, I think of it the same way, like when a sexual assault survivor comes forward, you know, we want that, like, I believe you that, you know, it's okay, you're safe in this area, I can tell you these things. Um, but I also think it's important for the staff to be educated which plug, we can totally do that for staff. Um, but also like to be paying attention to those things because they see that stuff in the classroom. And, um, you know, we meet with, when we do like designated staff training, you have those staff that say like, okay, I, I think I have a couple of kids in my class that are part of this. So it's recognizing that and then maybe be, and then being that person that says, hey, I notice." like your partner didn't speak to you very well, like in class, like, are you okay? Like, how are things going with that? Because, you know, parents don't always see that stuff. They want to be those people to see that, but they don't always see every piece of that. And um, so that staff could really be that person that steps in um, to that child's life and really, you know, changes that relationship that they're in and could change the trajectory of their life by having them you know, get out of that relationship. So I think it's really important for staff to be educated, to support people that come forward and to, um, you know, be on the lookout of, you know, some of those warning signs and, you know, be that person that checks in on them if they're starting to notice that stuff uh, with it. Because I don't think too, like, um, I don't think all the time the laws and things like that are in place really support our, you know, our teens in their best interest, truly in their best interest, when they come forward and, you know, disclose some of this information. So sometimes it has to be that staff that says, like, I'm going to look out for what is best for this child right now, um, you know, within the limitations that they have. But, you know, there's things that you can say to a child and, you know, have conversations with a child that's outside, you know, of that, like legal, what you, you know what I mean? Like that legal realm that can really support that child and at least just let them know that they're not alone in this process, however it plays out. I think that's super interesting what you said, you know, that some of these kids, the only kind of adult that's going to believe them is maybe school staff, like the school counselor or a teacher. I pulled a statistic and it said that 81% of parents believe teen dating violence is not an issue or admit they don't know if it's an issue. So if 81% of parents don't think that this is an issue for children or for teens, who are, who are these teens gonna talk to? Their parents aren't gonna believe it. So they have to, like you said, you know, there has to be that person 
that adult that they can go to and trust. And it's a safe space to talk about this. It's a safe, you know, area where they can get the help that they need to get out of that relationship and to get sort of, you know, some support that they need in order to not have this be a pattern for their life. So, I mean, that's super important that, and, you know, here's a nice, again, a little plug for safe passage. Like, you know, that's what we do. (laughs) We can train. So, you know, if you're an educator or if you are a school counselor and you really don't really know, I guess, what to do, contact us because our role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's so important too, because I, I think often um, with our role, like sometimes people may think, you know, I'm a teacher or I'm a parent or I'm a friend, like this is your job to take on. This isn't mine. And I think that's an absolutely valid like way to think about things. But the thing is like the amount of time that we get with a survivor or somebody who's disclosed some sort of violence is so limited, you know, because maybe that person wants to come in a day a week. Maybe they want to come in um, an hour every two weeks. Maybe we're texting back and forth. You know, it's a pretty limited communication. And often when people are in trauma, they're isolating too. So really the people who are most around that survivor and have the most impact are the people in their day-to-day lives, their teachers, their, um, you know, parents, their friends, folks like that. So when we are able to empower and give tools for how to be the best friend, parent, um, or trusted adult for this team that's going through something incredibly painful and traumatic, then we can really make a difference. I love that. And like, I think it's too, like, you know, we've all talked about this in the past with advocacy, even like sometimes it's just being there. Like it doesn't take, you know, a master in psychology or social work to support somebody. Like it takes very little things sometimes. It's just, sometimes it's just showing up or saying like, I'm here for you. Like it's, it can be very little things that in their, their real time of need that they need that little, just, just that little bit. Um, Yeah. That belief that, you know, just being that person that believes them, it's going to make a big difference. So true. I I think so much of advocacy is unlearning things because we want to fix people and that's not what supporting a survivor is about. It's just being there, like you said. Yes, absolutely. So talking about like being that support, um, being that person who's there that believes them, what what would you suggest or what's your advice for a a team that's a friend that has this going on. Like my friend is in, in some sort of a, a violent dating relationship. Like what's, what's the advice for them? How can they support their friend that's going through that? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a great question. Um, I think it's again, you know, being there for them. I think it's checking in on with them a lot, like on how they're feeling. Um, I think it's really important to identify you know, we don't ever really want to point out or put down that abuser because we know that a lot of times their abuser is telling them, you know, your friends don't like me, your friends don't want us together. So when you say, 
um, oh, I don't really like your partner. I don't like this, or I don't like the way he's treating you or, you know, that's just reinforcing what her partner's already or his or hers partner's telling them. I think it's really important to connect the action of what the partner is doing with how your friend is feeling. So if you see them like be yelled at or be belittled or be whatever, and then going and checking in with your friend and asking your friend, like how they're feeling about that. I think that can be a really good, um, you know, doorway in to helping them realize that they're in that, that they're in that abusive relationship because you can identify that negative feeling with that action. And then you start to have this conversation, like, you know, do you, do you want, do you feel like that that's a healthy way to feel in that relationship? You know, if you're feeling sad or you're feeling upset after every time you guys are together, do you think that that's really healthy? And do you want that for yourself? You know, do you want that? Or do you, would you rather, you know, be with somebody that you feel happier with, you know, and, and start to have those small conversations with that. Um, I think that that's really important to identify that. I think it's really important to, um, not come for full force because we know that that does not, that's not the case when you're like, you're in an unhealthy relationship and here's what an unhealthy relationship is. And here's what, like, you have to kind of, you have to be patient. Patience is huge when trying to help your friend. Um, and you just have to, you know, slowly educate them when that time seems necessary. I think it's, it's, totally appropriate to ask them if they, um, you know, do want to be educated to even call like us and say, Hey, like I'm here with my friend or have your friend call and say, like, they want more education on this to pull somebody else in. I think that that's really helpful. I think that that's really helpful too. Sometimes is to get somebody else involved to help you when your friend's ready for it, because we know for them ultimately to leave, like it has to be their choice. And, and you never want to make an ultimatum with your friend. You never want to say like, um, you know, you either leave this partner or I'm not going to be your friend. And, and I've seen that in my personal life. I had a really, my best friend was in that and our other really good friend did that. And it was really hard for her because she just ended up becoming more alone through that. And it's like, now she has this, you know, abusive partner and now she's losing her friends and it's, it's just, it's even harder. And then you, you put yourself in that shoes and it's like, well, would you be able to leave then? Like if you were losing your friends and you were in this, you know, abusive relationship, it's not that easy to leave. So I think another piece too is um, making sure that you educate yourself on, you know, the certain pieces of that abusive relationship, like the cycle of abuse, the escalation of abuse, because I think um, in order to truly help your friend, you have to understand, you know, kind of what they're going through with everything, that it's not always this, oh, he, you know, hit you and they should just be able to leave. Like it's, it's a lot more complicated than that. And I think when people truly start to understand what an unhealthy or abusive relationship is, I think it gives them a lot more empathy for that person that's in that relationship. And that's really what your friend needs. Like your friend really needs you to be there for them, to empathize with them, um, and then give them those resources and help them leave that relationship and see that they're in that abusive relationship, but it not be through an ultimatum or it not be through, um, like you have to leave this relationship, but just to like recap, you know, you gotta be patient. You gotta be educated. Um, don't focus on the partner, you know, really focus on the behaviors that are happening and how your friend is feeling with that and then get your friend resources, um, and, and constantly check in with them, um, is really the big pieces of that. Um, I'm curious, you know, for a teen, it can be really intimidating, I think, to maybe talk to someone, to talk to an adult 
you know, about something that's, that's going on. So let's say that, you know, you have a friend who you're a teenager, you have a friend who is in one of these abusive relationships. At what point do you, as the teen friend, do you intervene? Like at what point do you feel like it's, you have to take it, it has to be more than just telling your friend that you support her or him or her, you're there for them. Uh, At what point do you need to get an adult involved? I definitely think when their safety's in concern, you know, if they are getting to the point where it's their safety is in concern, definitely being able to pull in that other adult, to pull in an adult with it. Um, You know, you ultimately want to keep your friend safe. I I know that's kind of, that's hard. That's a really hard question because, and I think too, like, you know, when we support survivors, we want them to make the choices, you know, but if they're really, if they're physically in danger, then you need to pull somebody else in and you need to pull that adult in. Um, I also like to say too, like, if you feel like that burden is too much for you to carry as the friend, it's a lot to support a friend to go through that, to see a friend, you know, in, in a, you know, an unhealthy or abusive relationship and, and to see this person that you truly care about and truly love, um, you know, go through that, that can be a lot to carry too. So um, those can be times too, when you really, when it's like, okay, I can't, I can't support this anymore. I need to pull in other help with that. Um, so I'd say when they're, when they're in physically in danger and when you feel like this burden is just too much for you to carry and it's okay. Like if you're helping your friend and you're like, I need to talk to like, like maybe you're like, I can continue to help them, but I need to process this stuff too. Like if you're starting to get secondary trauma because you're helping your friend, like it's okay for you to go get help too. And for you to get that support as well, because it takes a lot to support those people around you. So I want to kind of cycle back to, because I know that you had mentioned some of the warning signs and we talked about how um, some parents don't even know whether or not they're, teen is in an abusive relationship or not. So um, what are some of those warning signs? So I, th- I think the, um, one of the biggest thing with the warning signs is, um, so I, I think it really starts with having a foundation of a, of a relationship with your child. And so I think the more you invest in that relationship with your child, the more you will start to see when their behaviors change. And so that is the biggest red flag. Um, you know, when we sit down and we go through like the changes in your and um, their be, their behavior, the changes in their school, their changes in their appearance, the biggest piece is change. So it's when you are seeing a change in your child. So, you know, they were outgoing and now they're not outgoing. They're really isolating. They seem like they're depressed. Um you know, if they are starting to get scared to go to certain places that before they, they were totally fine with going, um, you know, they were doing really great in school. Now they're not. So all of those basic changes, um, that's really where it doesn't necessarily mean that they're in a teen dating violent relationship, but that is where you need as a parent to step in and say, I need to have a deeper conversation with my child, or I need to, we need to go together to a counselor or go together to a therapist. And we need to sit down and really talk about what's going on in my child's life to get to the root cause of where all these changes are coming from. There's a level where it's going to be normal. Like, you know, it might be normal, you know, maybe they got into a really hard class and they're really struggling with that class. And maybe that's why they're great you know, in a specific thing, but 
it's really important to have that deeper conversation with your child um, and get to the root of what that is. Um, it's all another other warning signs, you know, are if they are starting to date somebody, if you see them right in front of your fate, like not right in front of, but um, if you see things that might be concerning to you and you're like, I'm not quite sure if this is unhealthy or healthy, um, those are warning signs. Any of the physical, like you're seeing bruises and you're asking your child about them and they are, um, they seem like unsure where they got the bruises or they're not, you can just tell that they're not being honest with it. Um, you know, lying, you know, maybe staying out later than they usually were sneaking out of the house. Um, drug use increase is a, is a big one um, with that as well. So any of those, those little pieces can be warning signs with it. I think, um, you know, to just kind of get like, you know, gathering, like when you, if you have your child's friends over and you're like listening to their conversation and that might clue you into like, hey, they're talking about this boy. And I heard the friend say, you know, I saw him like talk bad to you and I didn't like that or something like you like pick up on those things and that should clue you in as a parent to say like, hey, I need to have this conversation with my child and figure out what's going on with this. Um, I think, you know, really when kids start to hit high school, like continuing to have that conversation about, you know, what relationships are, you know, who's dating, um, you know, you know, go over again, like what healthy and unhealthy are, um, what healthy and unhealthy relationship pieces are. And I think like when you, if you have that with your child, I think then that makes it a lot easier if you're having the, seeing those warning signs to have that conversation with them. So I think, um, you know, the biggest thing is again, like if you're seeing changes and, and really anything like a, a deeper dive and then, you know, when they do start dating, like have that reminder, like, hey, this is what a relationship should be like. You know, do you feel like that's how your partner treats you? Do you, you know, do they make you feel good, you know, and go through that stuff with that. So how then, how do we help? So we've talked about, you know, kind of helping parents recognize, helping like the designated staff recognize. How do we help that team that is in the relationship? Like mm. how, how do we reach that team? How do we help them learn boundaries and how, how do we help them understand, you know, what a healthy relationship is and that they're not in one. What does that look like as far as, as helping someone who's actually in a violent relationship as a teenager? I think first and foremost, I think um, the kind of, the, I think education. So I feel like when we do have a team that comes forward, I think sitting down and really going through our education that we have, I think is the first piece of that puzzle where they're starting to realize like, okay, this is not, um, you know, this, this is, this is unhealthy because we're taking their, the things that they are experiencing and we're directly correlating with it and saying it's unhealthy. We're not putting any sort of gray area in there. We're saying like, this, the way you were treated, this is unhealthy. I think when we go through the power and control wheel, I think that that is huge for people to be able to see that power and control wheel. So I think those pieces, again, like attaching the emotion with the action that the partner's doing with it. And then I think it really comes down to like trying to build their self-esteem and their confidence to be able to leave that relationship. Um, because, you know, they're so beat down. And so it's just, trying to remind them of their, you know, self-worth. And I think at that age too, like, it's really hard for teens to be able to like see past right then and there. 
you know, it's hard for them to like see the future or see what's going on. So I think um, one way is to really try to get that youth to really see like what their future could be. And then, you know, this is the path that you're on. Is that the way, like, is that the path that you want it to be on? So I, I think it starts with education um, and then just, you know, helping them you know, helping them see and really define what it is. I think, I think using like, again, the power and control rule when they can go around and they can say like, these are the aspects of my, like you go through all the different aspects of their relationship and then you have them identify on that wheel, like rather it's, you know, the um, teen equality wheel or it's the power and control wheel, and they identify these pieces in their relationship. And I think when you have teens that do that, I think it's really hard for them to walk away and say that they're fully not in, in I, I don't think they can walk away and say, I'm in a healthy relationship. I don't, you know, I think it takes time for them to really sink in and say like, this is an unhealthy relationship because they truly do love that person. Um, so I think it just kind of takes some time. And sometimes it's a couple different sessions of going through that education and having that patience with them. Um, with it and then simultaneously trying to build up their confidence um, and, you know, have them be, get involved in things that they really do love. And, and, you know, you look at their time and really have them be setting their time apart, setting their time, doing things that they love, that's going to bring up their self-confidence and, you know, make them feel good about themselves so that they can leave that relationship. Um, I think those are all really awesome points. And I want to kind of, I, I, I've been thinking about what you were saying as far as ways that we can individually impact these teens and help them recognize healthy and unhealthy relationships. And then also your point earlier about how culture and media and things impact how teens view their relationships. And I'm wondering if you could speak to that a little bit and you know, how we can make a difference with that as well. Yes. So I think that, um, you know, the, the culture and, you know, the stuff that we see in movies and music, um, they do not depict, overall, they do not depict um, a healthy relationship. Um, so I think it's really important, um, especially for a parent to really, um, take that into consideration. So when you're watching movies with your teens or even younger children, you know, letting them know like this is not the reality or this is unhealthy. Um, I think that's a way that we can intervene. I think, um, you know, educating them that this is not what it is. Um, you know, it's just completely different how they date now. I mean, the fact that they start their relationships through social media, even if they're in school with them, you know, they're starting that. And it's just it's like mind boggling, you know, I can't even imagine that. Like, I can't imagine sitting there across from like a guy that I thought was cute. And instead of like wanting to talk to him, like, I'm just going to Snapchat him, or I'm just going to do whatever with him, um, you know, to start that relationship. So um, I think it's just, you know, how, how do we intervene with that? I think it's, I think as a parent, like you have to be the parent to be able to say like, I don't want you listening to this music or I don't want you watching this movie or if you are going to like just be you have to be aware of the fact that this is not the way that a relationship really is um you know I think I think things like even like porn and like things like that that's become so normalized is such an unhealthy way to look at it so I think as parents we need to really be 
um, aware of what our kids are watching and be aware of like what stream, like what's the popular thing that's on right now? What's the popular song that's on? And have that, have that discussion with your child to say like, okay, this, yeah, this song may be like super catchy. And I totally understand like why you would want to listen to this, but let's, let's look at what the lyrics are actually saying. And do you think that that's really like how you would want to be treated in a relationship? Do you think the way that they're talking about females, um, is a really good way to be talking about females um, and really just like calling it out when you see that stuff, um, I think is really important. I think the same thing kind of goes in schools. I think it's really important for, um, you know, our educators to be aware of that. And, you know, some of the ones that are really doing some of that, um, you know, um, current event things to be able to recognize that stuff as well and be able to say that but, and I think also, again, it's like modeling that, like, if I'm going to sit there and, you know, talk with my child about things, like, I need to make sure that I'm modeling that with, like, what I'm consuming, um, you know, you, we just have to be aware of what we're consuming. Like, I'm not saying stop consuming that stuff, you know, because it's, it's not depicting a healthy relationship, but you have to be aware enough to be able to say like, what I'm consuming is, is not healthy. Is this, this is not depicting what a healthy relationship is. And I need to figure out and find examples in my life of what healthy is because I need to be making sure that that's what I'm doing with it. Um, so it's really hard because it's so ingrained in our culture and people do not realize that it is that ingrained until you really start peeling back those layers and really start to say like, you know, culturally what's being, what's being said. And I think even going back to, you know, cultural things like growing up for me, like I recently um, had a conversation with my husband and um, our daughter's like scared of the dark. And he was like, I don't really understand that. I was like, yeah, because you were not culturally taught to be afraid of the dark, like, of like me as a female was, you know? And so like, those things are so ingrained in us, um, that it's really hard to kind of counteract it. So I think it's just learning about it and then calling it out when you see it and, you know, and it doesn't have to be in a negative way that you're calling it out. Um, but then just really being aware of what you're consuming because you have the power to consume whatever you want to consume, you know, and what you consume, you're going to overflow with. So you, I think being aware of that. Uh, you touched on some uh, really important point about being aware of what you consume. And I was in a webinar uh, not too long ago and I was so horrified. I'm so sorry, guys, my computer. <laughs> It's making all kinds of noises, but I'm sorry. I was super horrified because they talked about a statistic that the average age that a child first sees porn is eight years old. Mm -hmm. So the average age that a, that a child is see is being subject to this violent sort of sex and how they, and if that's forming their opinion, because you know, an eight year old super curious, right? So that boy is going to see that violent porn he's going to want to see it again and again and again and so that becomes the frame of reference for what sex is mm -hmm. then you know you have this kid getting into a relationship strangles his girlfriend because that's what he saw that's what he consumed you know and that that formed his opinion on on what healthy sex is when it's not. And so I think being aware of what your child is consuming, being aware of where your child goes on the internet, being aware of the things that they are exposed to 
is such a huge part of that cultural and societal responsibility that we have. Yeah. And I think it's being, you know, brave and bold enough to go against the culture with it, because, you know, you look at these, you look at these, um, you know, the stars that are putting, you know, that are putting this stuff out, you look at the the stars and so I thought that, and they are huge. You know what I mean? This is so many people are following this stuff. I mean, we show that video of, you know, Taylor Swift's video, um, you know, in, in our high school programming. And it has like a bit, I'm pretty sure it's like a billion people have watched this thing. I mean, that's a billion people that have consumed this that may not know that this is not the reality of what a healthy relationship should be like. Um, and that's huge. And so I, I, you know, I look at it and trying to overcome that is a very big task. But I mean, I think you start in your circle and you start with the people that are around you. Um, and then you just hope that that becomes a ripple effect with it. Um, but I am glad that we brought up like the sex piece with it, because, you know, I think when we talk about healthy and unhealthy, we, you know, first and foremost, we kind of hit on that, like respect and, you know, like the disrespect and communication, stuff like that, but the sexual aspect of a healthy relationship, especially in teens where this is again, like their first, this could be their first sexual experience, I think is huge. Um, and, you know, again, it's like, are they understanding what consent really is? And, um, you know, they're feeling that pressure in that relationship. So that's a big piece of it too, is that, that sexual, like not, not, feeling pressured to do sexual things or send nudes like that is huge like they're sending those nudes um feeling that pressure to send them and then them having it and you know can do whatever with it afterwards um that's a big piece of tdv i'm sorry we took this long to bring that up but um like that's that's a huge piece of that i think it's you know swept under the rug a lot of the times um and especially, I think it's really important because, like I said at the beginning, like not everybody is becoming like boyfriend and girlfriend. So some of their relationship piece is primarily their sexual activity. And then it's a little bit of that communication and hanging out. You know, sometimes that's like the biggest piece of their relationship is a sexual. And if they don't know because they've seen porn and they don't understand what consent is, like, you know, they're, they're pretty much already in that unhealthy, you know, piece with it. Yeah, if they've never been if they've never been talked to about what a healthy sexual relationship is and like what what that looks like, they're not going to know. They're not going to know. So their frame of reference is going to be porn and their bad experience, and that will impact them for a lifetime. I I really want to pull out that piece too of you know being brave and bold, and that you know part of that is talking about it, and part of it is making these things subjects that we do really touch on and educate more, just like you said. So I know that we're coming toward the end of our time here. So I'm wondering, Danielle, if there's anything else that you um, want to impart upon us and also where people can learn more about TDV and safe passage prevention. Awesome. Um, yeah, I think the biggest thing is I, I really feel like for me, you know, 
as a prevention and as somebody who has like prevention in their heart, I just really wish people um, in general and our, you know, culture and society would really honestly recognize this as a problem and start to have those conversations younger with kids and, um, you know, be on board with our us coming in and educating and and it not be this like taboo to come in and talk about this. Um, I think if we talked more about healthy relationships and if we talked more about, um, you know, having that self-love and really making that a bigger piece of us raising our kids and as our school, like that social emotional learning piece, I think that that would have such a big impact. And um, so, you know, I think just, I would love to see the culture shift in that way um, would be like an ultimate goal. And I think the more that the culture would shift, I think some of this violence would just naturally go away on its own. Um, but I think, you know, we have so much work to do. So I think people just recognizing this and being on board with, um, you know, helping our um, prevention, you know, ideas and things like that to come forward, I think is really big. Um, so if you need any more information on TDV or ours, we do have a new website. It's called safepassageprevention.org. And we have tons of resources for parents and teens and teachers and staff um, on our website with that. So we have a lot of research on there, um, you know, things we've put out there and we're really excited to launch that. Um, and we'll be launching a blog with that. So that's kind of where you can get a little more in-depth information um, for our stuff, but that's where our stuff is, safepassageprevention.org. So we're really excited to finally launch that and build that out over the next, you know, 12 to 16 months. So we're really excited about that. So Danielle, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, I learned a lot. I think we talked about some amazing topics that I really hope uh, people in the community and people in our school systems can really take to heart. And so we can see those societal changes being made. But as we close another episode, we just want to remind everyone to take a few minutes and take care of yourself. If you've had an unwanted sexual experience and want to speak with an advocate, please call our helpline at 812-932-7233. Our advocates are available to speak with you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Thank you for listening and be sure to tune in to our next podcast on alternative therapies for healing trauma.